Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, and I am the Dream Business Coach coming to you from Savannah, Georgia right now. And I've got a very special guest, somebody who's actually not in Savannah, Toronto, north of the border, as they say. My special guest is Ahmed Bunawar, and he is the creator of the 90-Day Pipeline. It is a coaching program that helps B2B consultants and service providers fill their pipeline with five- and six-figure deals without begging for referrals, wasting time networking or spending a dime on advertising. That is a big promise right there. So I'm excited to uh, dive right in. Ahmed, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing fantastic, Jim. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to, to be here. Yeah, and Happy New Year's. First, um, this is our first interview of 2021, the year that promises a lot of positive things. <laughs> he, he said with, with a hopeful intent in his voice. Um, so I'm just curious. I don't... I um, I've never uh, interviewed you before, and um, I, I always love the backstories of the people I interview because I'm, I'm as fascinated with entrepreneurship and what leads to that, et cetera. So tell me, what um, did you have any role models, moms, dads, grandparents that were entrepreneurs, or are you like a first-generation entrepreneur? The, the exact opposite. I come from a long line of academics. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. The, the polar opposite of entrepreneurship, right? So my father's got a PhD. He's a civil servant with the government of Canada. Um, everybody in my family, I'm the youngest of three, uh, has at least a master's degree. One of my sisters has a PhD as well. Um, entrepreneurship does not run in our family or course through our veins. So I'm the first, as far as I know, my immediate family, you know, my and my extended family as well. I'm the, probably the first to actually take the entrepreneurship leap, as far as I know. So that they, was they, that. It must be an interesting conversation around dinner tables. And... Well, it, you know, yeah, Indian go ahead. parents, Indian parents, Jim, uh, <laughs> made things yep. really interesting when I was young. And, uh, you know, and I started out uh, the typical kind of corporate path. I, I worked at Ernst & Young for a few years, um, got my CPA letters there. I was a CPA back in the day. And that was, you know, for Indian parents, that was acceptable. You know, there's the doctors, number one. Uh, yeah. engineers, number two, accountants, number three, um, everything else doesn't quite make the list. There's only three options really. Right. So they were satisfied. You know, it would have been nice if you became a doctor, but you know, accountant CPA, you know, that has letters, it's, it's credentialed number three, we'll give it to you. So that was and it's acceptable. black and white, right? It's black and white. Like you can, you know, two and two is four. It's not like, I think I'm going to do great this year. <laughs> exactly. So that was acceptable to, uh, to my parents and my family. And then when I said, well, you know what, yeah, mom and dad, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm young and uh, I just had a child and uh, just got married and you know, I kind of want to start a business. Uh, that conversation didn't go too well. I didn't quite understand it. So I had to, you know, I didn't come from a background where entrepreneurship was well entrenched in the family culture or the family story. And I, and I had to learn a lot of things on my own as, as a result of that. 
So when was that? When did you strike out on your own? And what, what was the impetus to that? Were you just, did it not feel right being in the kind of the corporate structured environment? Yeah. So it's interesting. My, my primary corporate experience was at Ernst & Young, big professional services firm. I came up as a young junior accountant, spent a few years there. I was there actually during the financial crash of 2008. Um, okay. And I was working in financial services. I was auditing um, one of the banks here, one of the big banks here in Canada that had the largest concentration of mortgage-backed securities in the country. And I was on the team responsible for valuing those securities uh, while the values were actively plummeting uh, just before year-end uh, 2008. That was a lot of fun, right? Yeah, <laughs> I a good experience there. Um, and, you know, in, in my mind, it was, okay, well, you a big firm, you know, fancy suits, nice office, you a big bank clients, you know, just ride this sucker out till partner. And then, you know, before you know it, 15, 10, 15 years from now, you're banking a million bucks a year. Sounds like a plan. And that was the plan for the first few years. Um, until I realized that the folks who were ahead of me, the partners that were at the firm that I reported up to, they were lovely human beings for the most part, but I didn't really want to be them. I didn't right. want their life. Uh, their, their day-to-day wasn't appealing to me anymore. I didn't want to be in their position 10, 15, 20 years from now. Um, and that's when I began to realize that, well, it's probably something missing from this experience for me. And I didn't know what it was. I didn't know I wanted to be an entrepreneur at the time. I just knew that there wasn't something quite right about that experience. And that um, if I didn't see myself putting in 10, 15 years at the firm, making it to partner, um, if I didn't see that as an accomplishment, probably shouldn't be doing it for much longer. So yeah. I made the leap, um, which wasn't common uh, at the time. And I didn't really know what to do or what I wanted to do. So what I did was I joined a really small company because I figured, look, I'm, I'm going to be in business one way or another. So let me find a small company that doesn't have a lot going on, not a lot of bureaucracy, small team, people wearing lots of hats. Uh, you know, all the things that people complain about when it comes to small business. I wanted to be part of that. I wanted to be part of building a business from the ground up. Uh, because as an accountant, you know, you don't really learn anything about business. You look at the aftermath, you look at the results and you audit them, you review the numbers. But I wanted to actually be part of growing a business from the ground up. So okay. I ended up joining a small consulting firm that a couple of my friends had started. Um, they were They were experts in education, education management. And they had a, at the time, one big whale client that they got a contract with that started the business. And they looked at me and they said, well, look, we don't know how to run a business. We're, we're educators. We're educationalists. And we don't know the first thing about getting clients or marketing. We've got this one big deal, but don't really know what to do with this. We think there's a business here. Not quite sure. Can you help us? And of course, I had no business helping them, no experience, uh, no expertise in that regard. But I said, yeah, why the hell not? What do I have to lose? So I joined that firm, um, spent uh, the better part of five, six years with them. Uh, we grew the business to a steady seven figures, uh, signed some really, really big names in the education space, both in the for-profit, non-profit uh, sectors. And that's really where I cut my teeth in marketing, business development, entrepreneurship. You know, I, I touch every part of that business, uh, operations, finance, marketing, HR, et cetera. And from that experience, I was like, well, if, if I built this company with these partners and we did so well, I mean, I wonder what I could do if I started on my own from scratch and built my own business. Wow. Um, and it was that curiosity, really, that, that was that itch that I had to scratch was the impetus for me starting my current company. Ahmed, how did your wife feel about that? You know, with the wife and baby. And you're, so you, you left the big Ernst & Young, then you went to a small firm, did really well. And then you're going to go out on your own and start all over again. 
Well, I engaged in progressively risky activities, right? So <laughs> it was a, it was a slope, right? So yep. my wife, my my parents, my family is like, okay, we're going from Ernst and Young down to this small little fledgling consulting firm. No one's heard of. Okay, that feels risky, but okay, we we can get our heads around that. We did that for a few years, got some stability. And, oh, okay, now we're going to go from this thing that you had a hand in building, which is going well now. To, to something else even more risky, right? So there was a, there was a gradient there, right? We, um, we, we, I eased them into the risk. Uh, but fortunately, and, I, and I, do, I do think that I'm very fortunate uh, to have a supportive uh, partner in my wife. Uh, she, she knows me well enough to know that if I'm gonna do something, if I need to do something, I'm gonna do it. Um, and the best thing to do is to get behind me and, yes. <laughs> and, and back me. Otherwise it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough slog. So no, she was very supportive. Um, and there was risk, you know, there were, there were times in the early days and actually my wife and I, we were just recently, um, recounting some of those stories where like, we didn't, you know, we didn't know if we were going to make rent some months and, and, you know, it was spending a hundred dollars on a dinner well, felt, uh, you know, uh, extravagant. And, you know, it, it felt painful and, you know, buying, you know, sporting equipment for the kids. We'd have to, you know, we'd have to, you know, look at the discount section and get last year's model. Like we remember those times. And um, I mean, frankly, in retrospect, it, it's, it was terrible in the moment. It didn't feel good, but I'm fortunate to have had that experience starting from scratch and having very little money to your name and having to build a business. Because if you've been through that, um, I don't know, there's much else that you can't get through. That's right. And you remember those days well. So you started Boutique Growth um, about seven years ago. And um, you're obviously very good at marketing. I've checked out your, you know, your profile and your website and stuff. Is it, Where did you cut your teeth in marketing? Because typically CPAs are not like creative. They don't think outside the box. They got to stay in the box. Yeah. And that's why I probably didn't make a very good CPA. Um Although I did, uh, I think there's an analytical part of my mind that I was really uh, able to leverage as a CPA, but I did feel, and this is part of my dissatisfaction at the firm, I did feel boxed in. There were creative muscles that I wasn't able to flex at the firm. So interestingly, I was you know, probably the only CPA that I know of that was copywriting on the side while I was at Ernst & Young. So while I was there, I knew I had an interest in marketing and I loved to write. Um, so I started writing copy and taking copywriting courses and um, studying copywriting blogs and doing some small, you know, like, you know, relatively small freelance projects just to cut my teeth. And that's where I kind of got the marketing bug. And then I expanded on my marketing capability um, at that consulting firm that I joined because I ran their marketing team. So we ran co content marketing campaigns, email marketing campaigns, webinars, you know, conferences, trade shows like that. That's where I really cut my teeth in B2B marketing in right. a consulting professional services context. Um, and, you know, it's really, it's, it's funny because my dad asks me this. To, it's just last week, my dad asked me this question. He doesn't know much about what I do, right? He's academic, different world. And he goes, so all this marketing stuff, I mean, you went to school for accounting. Where, where'd you learn this stuff? <laughs> right? I, said, I said, dad, just on the job, you know, in the real world doing things. And that's, that's the interesting thing about marketing is it's not a, it is a technical discipline, but it's not one that you need a degree or certification in. You know, you, you need to get into the, get into the, get into the wild and, and run campaigns. And that's the best way to learn marketing. And that's Your what pedigree is how much ROI you're getting on the stuff you're putting out there, right? hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. So who are some of your mentors in copywriting? I'm just curious. Oh, um, yeah. I was a big, big, big follower and fan of copy blogger Brian Clark back in yeah. the day. Um, I went through some of Kevin Rogers stuff. 
uh, Bob Bly. Um, oh, there's a gentleman I just saw a testimonial from on your website who I've been through his material before. Um, the name you might be able to help me with. There's a testimonial on your homepage from from this copywriter. Oh, okay. Uh, sorry, the name's escaping me. But yeah, yeah those right. are. Yeah, and I'm and I'm probably blanking. It's probably it's been a good good ten years since I took all these copywriting courses and, and programs. But yeah, that's. I mean, I I got started as a copywriter. That's what I would do. It's write copy, and then sure. that evolved into a coaching consulting business. So let's let's tra- good good transition for you right there. Let's talk about. So you're the creator of the ninety day pipeline. Um, how did that come about? Yeah, in a few different uh, in a few different iterations. So when I left this uh, this consulting firm that I was a part of, the 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 hypothesis there was, and this may be interesting for people that are thinking about going out on their own or or, or building a program like uh, like the program that we have. Uh, the hypothesis was, well, look, I I built this incredible consulting business with these partners um, by executing some really interesting marketing campaigns, content marketing, B2B marketing, email marketing, et cetera. And yeah, there's a lot of other consulting businesses out there that don't do this stuff. And, and a lot of what we were doing at the time, again, this is 10 years ago, pretty innovative and uh, people hadn't caught on yet. And so I said to myself, well, you know, what if I go and, and just farm myself out as a, you know, a hired gun uh, director of marketing on a fractional basis to different consulting firms. And I, I run their marketing teams because chances are they, you know, they don't need or, or can't afford to hire a executive marketer at six figures, but they do need some, you know, high level stewardship of the marketing function. Uh, and, and I could fill that gap. And that's what I did. And I got really busy and um, just sold myself as a fractional director of marketing, ran these campaigns and ran these programs for different consulting businesses. And that's where I started battle testing my ideas because I knew it worked for the previous business that I worked at. Um, I didn't know how much it would work for other businesses. And I didn't know, you know, what other frameworks I would need to tap into to make it work in other different industries. So I did that for, you know, a good, you know, four or five years, just working with different consulting businesses in a really high touch uh, consulting engagement and ran their marketing. And then after a kind of a critical mass of clients and experience there, I said, well, you know, I could just package up what I've learned here in running these marketing campaigns for consulting professional service businesses into a program that's accessible to anybody because not everyone can afford to pay me the three, four, five, six thousand $6,000 a month it takes to run their marketing for them. But they probably can afford to pay 10 grand to engage in a program that teaches them how to do all these things and, and, and ha- helps them learn how to fish for themselves. And that's where the 90 day pipeline was born. We launched about uh I want to say two and a half years ago, and we've had you know, at least 500 clients come through since then. Wow. Is the, <clears throat> is the 90-day pipeline a course, an online course anybody can sign up and take, or is it um, you know, handheld consulting and working with people? Yeah, it's, it's handheld, done with you, coaching, consulting, and training. So it's a transformative, immersive 90-day experience. There's learning, online learning to it. There's coaching, there's training, there's mentorship. Uh, it's an implementation program. So it's not a come and learn some stuff. It's come and do some stuff and build your machine. Very cool. And so in a couple of years, what's what's the most popular niche? Is it consultants, coaches, or something completely different? Uh, our sweet spot, uh, this is where we compete uh, better than anybody else, is B2B consulting professional services. So think about folks that are selling typically higher ticket offers, like 10K would be small. You know, you're talking about 20, 30, 40, 50K and beyond. And they're selling into larger organizations. 
uh, either a consulting service or some kind of professional technical service. That's our real sweet spot. Very cool. And what are, can you talk a little bit about the 90 day program? Like if somebody signs up, like what's that look like? And at the end of the 90 days, do they have an actual pipeline? Um, you know, like a funnel, if I don't know if you use that word or not. Yeah, not only do they have a pipeline or a funnel, what, whatever you want to call it, but more importantly, they have leads and conversations coming in. They're having conversations with their target market. So most of our clients, you know, they only need to have 10 to 15, maybe 20 really solid conversations with prospects to make a very decent living, right? Because if you're charging 20, 30, 40, 50 grand per deal and you sign a couple of those per month, you're doing really, really well, right? And yes. we have clients that are larger that are seven figure firms, one, two, three, $4 million. And they're a little bit more sophisticated, but for, for our average, you know, solo independent consultant or small firm, a couple of those larger deals a month goes a really long way. So we teach them uh, and, and we work with them to implement the, both the strategy and the systems. So on the strategy side, you know, the hallmark of marketing is positioning. If you don't get positioning, right? No amount of outreach activity, content, implementation, execution is going to save you. You got to get positioning right. So the first thing that we work on with clients is who are you in the marketplace and, and why should the, why should the market care about you? And what do you have to offer that no one else has to offer? And how is it distinct? And why should they work with you? And you know, what's the outcome that you deliver and how do you, do, all those things are the, you know, the first big, big uh, uh, rock to, to, to overcome. And, and if, I can, if I can yeah, interrupt you just for a second, I bet that's okay. a one area where you're probably, well, maybe not now for two and a half years, but when you started, that's an area where a lot of people that come to you have a hard time answering, right? They kind of don't know themselves what they do. <laughs> Uh, I mean, that is, in my estimation, that's the biggest problem that every business faces is positioning, right? Because you got a lot of businesses and you, and you see this, I'm sure, Jim, as a coach, you get a lot of businesses that have, you know, done relatively well, okay, over the years, sometimes 10, 15, 20, 30 years, and still don't really have very good positioning. And they've gotten by on the charisma of the leader or their relationships or, you know, really typical in our industry for, among my clients is, well, we've done really well with referrals, and we've done really well with word of mouth. And we have a couple of big whale clients to pay all of our bills. And then the moment that those referrals run dry, because they will, and the moment that that whale client says, well, I'm, I'm going to move on and, and try something else or work with somebody cheaper, then they go, hold on, we have no way of actually driving business for ourselves. We have no control over this thing. And then they go and they, they start working their network. And they start sending emails and messages and making phone calls and having coffee meetings. And they realize we don't have any good reason for these people to hire us. We have no messaging. We have no like reason for being. We're just, we're just going out to the market and saying, hey, we can help you. Well, that's not good enough. And, and that's you know, really ultimately what positioning solves for. I boil positioning down to, to, to one simple question. It's two words. Why you? And uh, you'd be shocked. Well, Jim, you wouldn't be shocked, but people would be shocked at how few businesses have a, have a reasonably good answer to that question. Right. I always say one of my things when I'm teaching this to my own clients is, you know, if you're an accountant, your your big why you can't be that I add numbers really, 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 really well. I'm so good at adding numbers. I'm so better than the other guy. <laughs> that's that's not how you're going to attract customers. Like, and that's and that's the common refrain is when we and you know my sales team is trained to ask that question. You know, when when someone comes to us and and they want to enroll in the program, uh, you know, we we vet them. And one of the questions that they ask is, well, what makes you different in the marketplace? 
Why should people choose you? And the common answers that we get are, well, we're better. We deliver better service. We have a better team. We have better people. We have a better process. And the problem with that is, how does anyone know that's true? <laughs> yes. I, you can't prove better. I, you can't prove better until you work with me and prove that you're better. But if you don't prove that you're better, why would I work with you? So once you help people with their um, positioning, the why you, what's next? How do you get it? So, because I think in your opening, I said, so um, but you read it without begging for referrals, wasting time network or spending a dime on advertising. So what happens with the pipeline once you build it? Yeah. So tactically, we teach a LinkedIn organic marketing system. Mm -hmm. um, LinkedIn, because for, for my market, this isn't true for every market, for, for, but for my market, the B2B consulting professional services folks, the business folks, the market's on LinkedIn. That's the, the, the most efficient, most effective social media platform for us to uh, establish a presence in. Um, you know, LinkedIn is a monster in the B2B space. Uh, the clients that you want are there. Um, they tend to be pretty active and engaged there. Um, and it's the best way to get their attention at scale. So we're going to LinkedIn and we're doing, doing a couple of really important things. One is we're, we're starting conversations with the market at scale because, you know, you're well aware of this, Jim, but you know, most folks, uh, don't know this as a rule of thumb, one to 3% of your market is in a buying position right now. Right. And, and everybody else isn't quite there yet. They're not looking, they're not buying, they don't need anything. They don't know they need anything status quo. So if you're only getting in front of like a handful of prospects every month, that one to 3% doesn't really add up to a meaningful number. You need to be able to engage the market at scale. But then also they've got to believe that you're the right option for them, that you're the best option for them in the marketplace. And so that's where we leverage LinkedIn to one, conduct the outreach at scale and to strike up meaningful conversations and to spark meaningful new relationships. But also we're creating content, thought leadership. And that's the mark of an expert. You know, a lot of people claim to be experts. Not a lot of people are willing to do the work to prove their expertise. So to me, marketing is, and content is essentially proof of positioning. When we do positioning right, we're making a claim. We're going to the market and we're saying, hey, we're the best at this, or you should choose us for this reason, or we're the firm for this, or we're the consultant for that. And it's a claim. And if it's done well, it gets attention, but it's not enough. You have to prove your positioning through effective, persuasive marketing content and thought leadership. You got to show people that you are, in fact, the expert that you claim to be. And um, that's the recipe for success is outreach at scale, sparking new conversations, new relationships with the marketplace, and then providing the material, the content, the thought leadership that the market needs to conclude that, okay, this guy or this girl, they've got what we need. Let's have a conversation. Well, as far as LinkedIn, um, are you a fan of the, uh, you know, when someone makes a connection, you instantly get an email or, or an instant uh, message, I guess, from um, on the, on the LinkedIn pro platform. And it says, Hey, this is what I do. I'd love to help with you. I'd love to connect with you. Is, is that some of what you're doing? It depends. So you don't want to be needy and you don't want to be pitchy on LinkedIn because it just turns people off. Right. And it's not effective and you don't really know if they need anything. So it's kind of silly too, right? If, if one to 3% of your marketplace is in a buying position, don't spam the other 97% with a pitch. If they don't, you don't even know if they need a pitch. Right. So right. you want to play the long game on LinkedIn, you build the audience and you don't directly pitch everybody that comes into contact with you. That's very short-sighted. You build the audience, you build relationships 
Um, but then you make it very easy for people that are in that one to 3% or are in a buying position or close to a buying position to engage you further. So it's like any funnel. You have a top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel, right? You're bringing people into your network at the top of the funnel. You're nurturing those relationships. And then you have really strong middle of funnel offers, further in-depth trainings, et cetera, that the people that are ready to take the next step can take. And then finally, you have your bottom of funnel offer, which would be a discovery call or a conversation with you. That's also appropriate for those who are that far down the path, but you're not hammering everybody over the head with a bottom of funnel offer when they're not even there yet. Yeah. I love when someone connects and, and um, the instantly I get, hey, Jim, are you a coach? <laughs> we could help you. It's like, well, oh, oh, you, you, oh, you read me? my profile and picked up a keyword. Congratulations. <laughs> I know. They ask the money now. They ask the question as if they don't know. That's when that's, it just annoys me from a, I, I think that's horrible positioning, but anyway, that's a whole, whole nother conversation. Um, so we only got a couple minutes left. I want to make sure that um, people can know where to find you. Um, I know you're on LinkedIn and, and, um, different social media. You're doing a lot of interviews now. Um, if somebody's interested in the 90 day pipeline or, uh, you know, boutique growth, how can they connect with you? Yeah. A simple thing to do is if you want to learn more about what we do and, and get into some of our free training, you know, no obligation, no strings attached. You can go to 90 daypipelinecom There's a free workshop. You can sign up there. It's about 20 minutes long. It'll walk you through our entire system and, and, you know, you'll, you'll find that valuable. If you want to grab a call with our team and see if we're a good fit to work together again, no obligation, no like hard sell or anything, just a casual conversation. See if there's a fit. You can go to 90 daypipelinecom forward slash talk. 90 daypipelinecom Very, very cool. Thank you so much for um, spending time with me, Ahmed. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, my friend. It's been a blast. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview with the uh, creator of the 90 Day Pipeline, Ahmed Manawar. And um, I will invite you to connect with him at 90daypipeline.com. Obviously, you're connected with me here in my podcast. If that's the only place, then you need to fix that faux pas. Connect with me at getjimpalmer.com. If you're interested in my coaching program, Dream Biz Coaching, dreambizcoaching.com. But that is it for this week. Until this time next week, another fantastic interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and you take good care. Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. <laughs> See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.